This is episode 622 on the Hidden White Podcast with Randy Epstein. Enjoy. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. I hope you're very well guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I have on the show today, Randy Epstein, and we're going to talk about the history of hormones. So you might often think about metabolism, behavior, sleep, mood swings, the immune system, fighting, fleeing, puberty, and sex. As Randy explains, these are just a few things our bodies control with hormones. Armed with a healthy dose of wit and curiosity, medical journalist Randy Hunter Epstein takes us on a journey through the unusual history of these potent chemicals with a few surprising twists along the way. So in this episode, guys, be ready to wake up to the power of our human biology with Randy Epstein. On another note, guys, the Hidden Wire podcast is doing incredibly well. I just want to thank you all for continuing to support the show and tuning in to episodes like this one. I also have a book, The Ultimate Life Map, which I know I've been talking about a lot. Um, a few things happening there still. I'm looking to get an editor and get it self-published. That is now the path forward, but it's going to take a little bit longer. So if you've been waiting out for that book, uh, you might have to wait just a little bit longer, but hopefully by the end of the year, we can get it up and out there uh, to you guys, to everyone else that might want to read it. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for your support. This is the Hidden White Podcast with Liam Unutzi. Enjoy the show. G'day, Randy, and welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Glad we could finally figure out our Skype issues this morning. Exactly. More about you in this wonderful world. Thank you. Are you in uh, in the United States? I am in the United States, in New York City, in the heart of New York City. Though not Midtown, I consider the heart Uptown, Upper West Side, where I am. Okay. And um, how's your afternoon? Very well. It's it's. A beautiful day. It's a beautiful sort of 70-degree Fahrenheit, so sort of lovely summer day here. Excellent. Love it. Coming into uh, autumn, I guess, for you, as it is spring for us. So, yes, on the opposite sides of the globe, but nice to connect with you. Look, let's jump into the conversation because I know we've got a bit of a limited time gap today, but you've just launched a new book titled Arouse, the History of Hormones and How They Control Just About Everything. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book. You know, I wrote the book because while I was delving into the medical archives and reading old newspapers, talking to experts, talking to people, talking to menopausal women like myself, teenagers like my children and their friends, I realized that there's a lot of misconceptions about hormones, and I wanted to set the record straight. So I wanted people to appreciate the huge, real, wonderful scientific advances in the last hundred years, but I also wanted them to know about some of the outrageous claims both then and now. I think we can understand a lot about ourselves, our health, and appreciate some of the claims now if we understand what was going on in the past. Yeah, it's always a good way to look at things. So tell us a little bit about the uh, history of hormones. Well, the history of hormones is a lot of history of things started before it started. I know that sounds a little crazy, but we like to think of endocrinology starting in the early 1900s. But the very 
first hormone experiment happened 50 years before. Mm. Someone an amazingly wonderful and wacky experiment that was basically ignored for a half a century. So this German doctor in his backyard took a bunch of roosters and he castrated some. And that's no big deal because farmers have been doing that for ages and seeing how it changes their their animals, their farmyard folks. Um, What this German doctor did is he asked a wonderful question because great scientists, they just don't answer things brilliantly. They ask the best questions. He wondered if you take a testicle and put it anywhere in the body, would it work? So he castrated a rooster Hmm. and then took another testicle and put it in its belly. So it had nothing between its drumsticks, but he had this little testicle, you know, sort of swimming about. Well, it wasn't swimming, but he kind of shoved it into its in loops of the intestine. And voila, this testicle worked. It sort of made its comb redder again. It built it up. <laughs> so what, then he wrote a scientific paper that basically explained what hormones are. There are these secretions that can work wherever they are in the body. They find their target. The one thing he didn't do was really appreciate the ramifications. So he wrote this scientific journal article, patted himself on the back, shoved it in a library somewhere, and then kind of went on his own way. Hmm. So his discovery was not discovered for another 50 years. And then, and that's when the field really took off. Hmm. What, um, I suppose what led us to finding, you know, hormones or even experimenting with it? Well, you know, a lot of the, in the history of medicine, before we really had chemistry and physiology, we really just looked at anatomy. So doctors saw that there were these glands hmm. in the body, these clusters of cells or just, you know, little kind of spongy things. We have the adrenal gland on the kidney. We have the pancreas. And then once the sciences of chemistry and physiology came about, it allowed doctors to explore what are the points of these glands. You know, and they did things like they would, the pituitary gland would spews a slew of hormones. Mm-hmm. That was when they took it out of dogs. Well, they said the dogs died. Actually, you, they, they really weren't dead because of lacking a pituitary. They were probably dead from infections of the experiment. But they, we do now know when there's the pituitary's not working well and spewing out what it's supposed to, there's cognitive impairment, you're tired, you wouldn't go through puberty. Hmm. So all those clues of just taking glands out and seeing what happens sort of started making doctors and scientists wonder, like, what are these chemicals? You know, what are, what's the chemical that makes someone more tired? What's the chemical that stops people from growing? What's the chemical that makes some people gain weight so easily but yet have thin arms and a big belly? So it was really from some people that had glandular disorders that made doctors dig deeper and scientists dig deeper and deeper to figure out what are the exact molecules that are making these changes. Well, that's cool. So, um, yeah, just by simply removing some of the glands and seeing what the behavior differences were, were one way to uh, yeah assess that there's something in them that uh, affected our behavior or our lifestyle. 
And then there were a lot of cockamamie things going on, too, because once we saw that, wow, you know, this is what happens when you castrate a rooster. This is what happens when you put the testicle back in. Mm. Then there were a lot of charlatans about, as there always are. Yeah. So in the night and and we love them here in America. I mean, they know that, you know, we've got a we're a good target audience for charlatans here in America. So in the 1920s. One doctor, John Brinkley, became phenomenally rich and famous. Um, Actually, he wasn't really a doctor. He even bought his medical degree in Europe. That was easier to do in the (laughs) 1920s. So he bought his little initials after the end of his name. Then he also bought a farm in Kansas, got a lot of goats, and you could come to his farm and pick out which testicles you wanted and he would sew them in you, and you and he would claim that you never felt better. You know, there was probably a lot of placebo effect, and there was yeah. also a lot of good luck that you didn't get infected and die during the surgery that took place in his kitchen. <laughs> wow. Is there any other outrageous ones that you've got examples of? Well, the other one I like to talk about, because sometimes people are outright charlatans, and I would say John Brinkley fits into that category. You know, he bought a medical degree. I'm not sure how much he believed in what he did, but he definitely was, you know, trying to get rich and famous. Some doctors just make mistakes. So, for instance, we have Eugene Steinack from Austria, also in the 1920s. It was such a wonderful time then. He did some almost Nobel Prize winning research by locating the cells that secrete what he called male hormone. Testosterone wasn't known yet, but he located the cells in the testes. I understand that's not an outrageous, wonderful story. It's getting there. It's getting there. So Eugene Steinach was nominated for this feat for the Nobel Prize 11 times. He didn't get it, but you have to be pretty smart to be nominated 11 times for the Nobel Prize. Mm. But then he made a mistake. Then he was thinking, gosh, so I've located these cells that secrete what I think is some manly male chemical. What if you could just keep more of that chemical in than have it leak out? Wouldn't that make you even more manly? And manly, he thought of, meant clear-headed, smart, huge libido, energetic, muscular. Hmm. So he did a rat experiment, and he gave rats a vasectomy, and he claimed that these rats never felt better. I honestly don't know how he judged the rat's thinking or the the rat's libido, you know, you can mount another female rat, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you're so desirous. Anyhow, Freud, the famous psychoanalyst, he got a vasectomy and said he never felt better. Yeats, the poet, got a vasectomy, said he never felt better. The vasectomy solely to boost your libido and think better became so popular that Steinach's name became a verb. Men were going around saying, I got Steinacked. You should get Steinacked. Ever since I got Steinacked, my boss says I've never been so creative. My wife says I'm like my 20-year-old self. <laughs> so, um, and so, But it's an interesting story because yeah. 
all great scientists take leaps and we laugh at them at the time. And then invariably a lot of them, we turn around and say, wow, they were on to something. Not Steinak. You know, we turn around and be like, wow, okay, so you made a mistake. You did some great stuff and you did some silly stuff. Um, so yeah, so the 1920s was a lot of fun, but you know, we're st we still have some weird stuff that we think and believe now just from testimony and not hard science. Mm. I love the uh, I like the stories. Uh, very curious, but it shows you know it shows how we we progress and learn and, and um, yeah continue uh, the progression uh, as a race. Tell us a little bit about hormones because your title of your book is saying that they they control just about everything. Um, how much of our behavior, our lives, do they really um, have an impact on? Well, we do think everything, but we don't know the details about everything. Hmm. So we do know that there's certain people, for instance, that, um, you know, women who have their ups and downs of estrogen and progesterone during their monthly cycles, some women do suffer PMS, premenstrual syndrome. Other women that are put on progesterone for fertility suffer from mood swings or get feel depressed because of that. So we know that there's effects from hormones that way. We know that in animals, if you take a goat or a rat, because we wouldn't do this to a human, if you block its oxytocin, a brain, uh, a brain hormone, mm. right when it's giving birth, that animal will headbutt its newborn baby. So therefore, we've concluded that oxytocin is a crucial hormone for mother-baby bonding. Okay. It's a spike when humans give birth too, but I don't think we're going to do that human experiment to see if a mother would ignore the baby. Not just yet. So is that that's oxytocin? So that's a chemical um, you said produced in the brain. It's produced in the brain. We know that oxytocin also is the is the hormone that squeezes the womb to let the baby out, and it's the hormone that they make pitocin. That's the name brand for like some women who they want to get the baby out faster. They'll give you some oxytocin to get your uterus squeezing. Okay. We also have the hormone to get breast milk going. It's been touted as the love hormone. Mm. This is not back to the 1920s. This is 2018. This is 2020s probably it's going to be. Um, there's some clues that oxytocin may have something to do with behavior. It may have something to do with socialness. So far, the studies giving oxytocin to autistic children have been contradictory. It hasn't worked as well as people were hoping. Okay. You can go out and buy oxytocin sprays that claim to help you bond with the person next to you sitting at the pub. Okay. Um, I'm not so sure there's any oxytocin in that oxytocin spray that you buy online. Mm -hmm. I think it takes more than just a little spritz of oxytocin to get that person at the bar next to you attracted to you. You might want to buy them a drink. That might be better than the oxytocin spray. Spray them in the face with a bit of oxytocin. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, you know, just say, would you like a cocktail? It's probably better than spraying them with some weird <laughs> You know, the, the weird things about all this stuff that are going on now is we do this amazing research and we've seen in animals in the brain when you inject oxytocin into the brain of mice, say, we can see what it does. But that doesn't mean that if you sniff oxytocin or suck on a lozenger that's supposed to have oxytocin in it, that 
that it's even getting to the brain to do what it's doing. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the love uh, hormone, what's the the purpose? I mean, evolutionary-wise, what is the purpose of having oxytocin? I mean, other than the couple of the you've already pointed out. Well, I think that would I think that it probably does have to do with bonding and social behavior, but not in ways, you know, there our hormones do control us and probably oxytocin does have to do. We know it has to do with getting the baby out, so we need that for evolution. We need to be able to get those babies out because we do not want to be pregnant forever. Yeah. We want to be able to nurse them. Um, and it probably does have something to do with behavior. So it's controlling us, but we cannot yet use oxytocin to really mold someone's behavior the way we want it to be. We're not there yet. Yeah. Okay. How is, how is the oxytocin produced and are there people that have, um, you know, problems with the amount of oxytocin that they have or release? It's really interesting. You know, it's not there, you know, we know that there are people that have issues with growth hormone. We know that there's people that have issues with either testosterone or the way their bodies um, react to testosterone. Oxytocin, the field is still, I would say, younger. I don't think that we know of any in terms of human and behavior not having enough oxytocin. We only know now from the animal studies of blocking it that these new mothers don't bond with their babies. But there isn't, we're not quite there yet in terms of humans. And I don't think that we know of any disease that says, okay, you're oxytocin deficient. Though people have been looking into it, thinking if it has something to do with socialness, you know, does, does kids on the autistic spectrum, do they have problems with oxytocin levels? And so far we haven't really found that. Yeah, because it's, it's certainly the, um, you know, the, the, the happy feeling you get when you're bonding with other people. Is that correct? So when you do bond, it sort of releases a bit more oxytocin and then gets you that, that elated sort of feeling? But we don't know that. You know, know we'd that? like okay. to see that. You know, I think we're extrapolating, and that's the issue. Like we, yeah, know yeah, yeah. That we know about those goat moms and their babies, but we don't know. Like, you know, I'm having a conversation with you. I think we're sort of bonding. I don't know if my oxytocin's going up. I'm not sure. As much as I'd be curious, I'm not sure I want someone digging into my brain right now. You know, all these things are fascinating. I actually did ask a scientist. We hear about dopamine. That's the one that you get a rush hmm. when you're happy, when, you, when you're like, you know, cocaine is supposed to give you this rush. Some drugs give you a rush of dopamine. We know that there's problems with dopamine in Parkinson's patients. So not only does that affect their movement, their, the way they move, but it also can affect their food. But yet, I actually asked, which sounds like a dumb question. It probably was, though. Aren't you supposed to say there's no such thing as a dumb question? I happen to be a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle fanatic. I'm not that great at them, but it does make me so happy when one piece fits into another. Hmm. So I said to an endocrinologist, do I get like this surge of dopamine? It's almost like an addiction. I put a piece together. It's one in the morning and I think now I've got to go to bed. No, but I just need that rush again, that rush again when the two puzzle pieces fit together. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, I think I'd have to do like some weird brain study and I wasn't sure if that was kind of worth it. So, um, you know, I just want to leave my brain out of it. So there's a lot that we have hints of. There's a lot that's fascinating. We've made huge strides. And yet I think the fascinating thing is how much we actually don't know. Can, do you know if they can measure 
I don't know, by hooking us up to computers or whatever, you know, the, the release of these chemicals? Like, could we plug ourselves in and, and watch the brain get filled with oxytocin, for example? No, we, we can't do that yet. We can take a blood test and know our hormone levels, right. um, but I don't think you'd want that. You know, and our hormones do go up and down. But there is a wonderful story about measuring hormones because one thing I don't think people appreciate is it's relatively new that we're measuring hormones at all. So before the 1960s, and that's not that long ago. I mean, I was born in 1962. So my mother's whole childhood, if any of her friends were thought to have had a hormone issue, not enough growth hormone because they were too little or maybe not going through puberty well, something with estrogen or testosterone. If they went to the doctor in the 1940s and 50s, the doctor would be able to give them testosterone, estrogen. We had these hormones around Mm. in supplies to give out. We had no way at all of measuring them. So it was kind of guesswork. Like your doctor's like, yeah, you really do look like you haven't gone through puberty or you really do look too little. And then they give you thyroid or testosterone or whatever they thought that they thought that you needed. In the 1960s, the Rosalind Yallow and Salman Burson, this couple, partners, not a married couple, a couple of people that work together, devised a technique to allow scientists to measure hormones down to the billionth of a gram. Hmm. I mean, it's remarkable. We went from not being able to to measure hormones at all to measure them down to the billionth of a gram. So, I mean, think about it. It went from we have no idea what your hormone level is to we know precisely the measurement. This same technique was used to measure, like, to find HIV virus in the blood. It was used for the whole fertility business. It's used the same technique to measure anything that we thought was too scarce to measure, such as cancer markers. So it really revolutionized American, I mean, it revolutionized global medicine. Mm. Here's the fun part of the story. Rosalind Yallow, the woman that got the Nobel Prize for basically revolutionizing modern medicine, when she graduated from college with a physics degree, tops in her class in the 1940s in New York City, she said to her advisor, I really want to be a scientist. And her advisor said, how about being a secretary to a scientist? Because that seemed better for women to do. She did become a secretary to a scientist for a bit at Columbia University because she thought, well, then I'll just take classes for free because anyone on staff at Columbia could take free courses. And her boss, a scientist, said, well, why don't you take stenography? That's more useful for a woman. So this woman eventually got into graduate school only because there were openings because all the American men were off fighting in World War II eventually got her PhD, eventually got a lab, and then the Nobel Prize in revolutionized modern medicine. So I've, I've been told by people that worked with her that she was a pretty tough, serious woman. Yeah, well, I don't blame her for being tough and serious. <laughs> she had to break down a lot of barriers to get to where she where she eventually got. Mm, yeah, interesting. Um, I'm interested in... in yeah, I suppose how all these chemicals really do affect our behaviours and what, what is real and what is not, I guess, as far as what we know so far. Um, as you said earlier, there's a lot of misconceptions around the hormones. 
what are some of the, I suppose, the, the key findings that we know um, that how all our hormones impact our lives the most greatly? Like what are the key hormones that do have a great impact that we know that um, some people might have, you know, depleted supplies of or et cetera, et cetera? Well, the big one, I mean, I know we're always thinking what makes us happy or sad or grow. I mean, the huge one, of course, is insulin. And that's breaking down our sugars and getting energy yeah. to the body. Okay. But 1922, diabetes was a deadly disease until we figured out that insulin could help people. Now here in the United States, we're having an issue because insulin is so expensive. It's crazy. You know, mm. it's been around so long. The Canadians that were the ones that did the discovery said all they want is for this to be available at low cost for whoever needs it. But we've kind of screwed that up. I've talked to many diabetics who it's just so complicated here in the States, dealing with insurance and dealing with pumps and all the other things. There's wonderful stuff out there to keep people alive, um, but they have to it's basically a full time job fighting with drug companies, getting the right prescription so that you can make sure it's the cheapest. Um, but we do know that insulin, yes, it breaks down your sugars, but, um, but it also affects your moods. We know that, you know, sugar metabolism affects your moods too. When your sugars Mm. go up down, we know that growth hormone isn't just for growing it. It affects insulin. All these things are connected. It affects your insulin. It affects your immune system. We know that estrogen, yes, is, is important for men and women. Women have more of it. And, but we also know that it's good for your bones. Testosterone, yes, for libido, but it also has other effects too, and it affects on your heart. So all these hormones, we sort of think, okay, this is the one key thing it does, but they also have other impacts too, whether directly or working with other hormones. Okay, so they all work, all work together in a chaotic sort of way. In a really chaotic, complicated way. So that's why it's scary just to take one and think, oh, just that's going to go up. Um, you know, and there's a big myth around. I don't know how much it is in, um, by, by your side of the world, but there's something, if you can go online, like called adrenal fatigue. Your adrenal gland has a lot of hormones. One is cortisol, the stress hormone. Mm-hmm. Doctors are not real believers in adrenal fatigue. You know, yes, there's diseases that can occur in your adrenal glands, just like we can have diseases anywhere. Um, And there's something called Cushing syndrome. But there's sort of this myth that if you're feeling super tired, we tend to think, well, it has nothing to do with that we haven't been sleeping. And it has nothing to do with that we're overworked. It has nothing to do with that we're mentally stressed. It must be that our adrenal glands are just worn out and we need some sort of herbal remedies but the adrenal fatigue thing doesn't really have a lot of basis that we know of in in medicine okay and that brings up an interesting topic i mean we become so reliant on this sort of research um that we forget the fact that perhaps our lifestyles and how we actually are living uh has a lot to do with certain issues health issues that we might be having not so much a imbalance of hormones or something like that yes Exactly. Um, And I also think that, um, I mean, there are things, yes, that have to do with hormones and there are things that don't. But I do think that if people have a sudden change, weight gain, 
much more tired or you feel like your heart is racing, it is always good to have your hormones checked out to make sure that that isn't the answer. You know, there have been people that have said they thought they were just depressed and then they realize it was a thyroid issue or a hormone issue. There are women that say, gosh, I'm having panic attacks for the first time in my life. And then they realize, oh, this is part of menopause. It wasn't a panic attack. This is just part of a hot flash. Okay. Um, and that sort of brings me back to oxytocin and, and depression. Is is there a relationship there between the two? We don't think so. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's interesting what some experts think now, because there, there, were, there, was, there was thinking that, oh, oxytocin is the trust hormone. You give it to someone and they trust more. Um, but then other studies were showing, oh, wait, they were giving it to people and made them more untrusting. So... If there's anything to this oxytocin and behavior, some scientists think from some of the studies in mice that it may have something to do with exaggerating feelings you already have. And it might have something to do with, for instance, there are times I knew someone this happened to. There are women that are yearning to have a baby or they're around the childbearing years and they will hear like someone else's baby crying mm. and they will start to lactate. Yeah, I've heard it has, mm. I, I heard it and then it actually happened to a friend of mine. They think that there's something in the oxytocin pathway that we know that it has to do with breast milk, but there might also be someone yearning for parenthood that it taps into that oxytocin receptor. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, I'm thinking like, you know, if, if oxytocin is sort of the bonding um, chemical, a lot of people are online these days and, and not socializing as greatly as perhaps we did in the past. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems that way. Um, I wonder if that has impact on our levels of oxytocin and our ability to produce it. It'd be, it's a really interesting question because, you know, we don't know, you know, do you need human connections to get these things going or does Facebook or some of the other social media things do the same thing? I mean, I tend, tend to be a little bit of a Luddite. Like I kind of feel, oh, it's still good to hang around humans in real life. And um, so you know, it'd be nice to say, oh, it's better for your hormones. But I think that's just me being completely biased. But there might <laughs> I'd agree with you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's the case with, I guess, all these hormones. But certainly, um, you know, like the adrenal glands, for example, what, what sort of hormones do they produce? They've got a few there, do they? They've got a few. We know that there's hormones that have to do with salt and, you know, keeping your body the salt balance so you're not too dehydrated. Um, but I mean, the most important one that we think of is cortisol. Um, and that's the stress hormone. And, and I also want to say that, yes, we, we think stress, mental stress, but cortisol is also needed, you know, to keep your blood pressure up. And when doctors talk about stress, they're also talking about Anytime the body needs to respond to something immediately. So you need your adrenal gland working if you have surgery because that puts your body in a stressful situation so that way you can respond accurately 
and 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 heal after the body is cut open. People that have issues with cortisol secretion would need to get extra cortisol in case they get sick or or have surgery to put them in what they would consider their body is in a stressful situation and to respond accurately to it. Okay. Is isn't the adrenal glands like responsible for our alertness and stuff like that as well? I mean, if you think about energy blood, le- yeah, energy levels. You know, that goes back to that whole adrenal fatigue. Your your energy levels are really a combination of thyroid, of yes, of the hormones from your adrenal gland, of insulin because that metabolizes sugar. So it's really not that the adrenal gland is needed for energy and that if you don't have it, you're fatigued. It's really part of this complex system. You know, what keeps you awake and alert is really this stew of of hormones, of chemicals. Can you tell me a bit about the thyroid? The thyroid is what we think of as your metabolism, the thyroid gland. Unfortunately, we've been able to help people with external thyroid for a long time, so if they've had problems. And it's really, it's not a rare thing for people to either have tumors or have problems with how much thyroid they're putting out. Fortunately, today we understand more of the pathway, so we understand there's something called T3 and T4, different types of thyroid hormone. Um, The other huge advance we've made in terms of thyroid, because it not just only it's not only for metabolism, hmm. but it also is really important for your mental health and your brain wiring. So it used to be, and not that long ago, when I was in medical school, there were people that were born with low thyroid, babies born with low thyroid, and we didn't know about it until they were three or four or five and seemed cognitively impaired. And then it was like, oh, they need thyroid. But because they lacked it in those crucial times as a fetus and newborn baby, it was too late to sort of bring back what they lost, but then we could sort of help manage it. These people were called cretins, and they were um, mentally slower. They were intellectually disabled. We could help them, but they were always impaired from it. And then in the 70s, some doctors started saying, wait, it's not that expensive. We should test every baby. And babies are when, you know, when you're born and they do like a little pin prick of your heel and they test things, your thyroid hormone is tested. If it turns out that you're too low at birth, you're just put on thyroid right away. And it's as if you'd never, you know, there's no cognitive impairment and you're getting exactly what you need. Mm. But yeah, so, so that's a wonderful step we've made in terms of newborns. But even today, I think if people um, feel that either they're gaining weight and feeling slow or losing weight too quickly, it just happened to a cousin of mine. She said she went to the doctor and, um, and realized, wow, she had dropped 15 pounds without trying. Her heart was racing. She hadn't really thought much of it. We tend, we tend to sort of, a lot of us discard these symptoms of, I guess maybe I'm nervous. I guess maybe I just haven't been eating. But it turns out that she had a thyroid issue. Her thyroid was overacting. And fortunately, she's able to be managed now um, with synthetic thyroid and, and monitoring it. At, at that sort of stage in life, do we, I mean, do we know what causes such things, like why the thyroid suddenly malfunctions? Sometimes it can be a tumor. which she has is what we call an autoimmune disease. What causes that, we don't know. And the name just means your body starts to 
attack itself. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I have to tell you, there was a while in, when I, we were in medical school studying for our exams that we thought, gosh, if you don't know the answer, just say autoimmune disease. Um, I hate to say it, it's very, very hard. But it just seemed that, you know, any time in medicine that we don't understand things like, oh, that's the body attacking itself. But there are a lot of things like diabetes is caused type one because for whatever reason, the body is attacking the pancreas. Yeah. Um, and Graves disease, which means the body is attacking the thyroid making cells. What triggers this? Um, that's like a, a that's a huge question in in physiology. And it's fascinating because. The way the human body works is that we do need to attack anything foreign, and but we don't want to attack ourselves. And it's and it can be very complicated when we're eating food, when we're pregnant, and we have a foreign baby in us. We don't attack that. So something in these signals in the body sometimes go awry, and we attack the wrong things. Right. Okay. So I suppose the question. Um I mean, there's probably a lot more questions that I have and people listening have. Uh, a good place to start might be to pick up your book. Um, so we'll give that a quick plug. I've roused the history of hormones and how they control just about everything. So I'll stick a link in the show notes, guys, to check it out, episode 622 at Um The question I have, uh, Randy, from here, I mean, would you advise us to, you know, if we have never done it, go out there and perhaps, you know, get a, I mean, a hormone test done? I advise, well, you know, you can't really just do a hormone test because mm. hormones are going up and down all during the day. Yeah. So it, but what I do advise is that if you think you have a problem with your hormones, go to someone who's studied endocrinology, go to either your OBGYN who studied endocrinology or urologist or someone who's an endocrinologist. You don't want to go to someone who says, I was an emergency room doc for 20 years, and now I just opened up a hormone-selling clinic. And I don't say that as a joke. I actually went to a meeting that was a lot of emergency room docs figuring they'd rather work 9 to 5, and they sell hormone supplements, and they have kind of weird degrees from places that aren't recognized. I think you're really – endocrinology is complicated. I'm not one, but I talk to a lot of them. You want to go to someone like that that really understands the chemistry so that when they give you one hormone, they know to monitor the others. Okay. And, I mean, how do we – it's probably a hard question to ask, but I'm just wondering, you know, how do we know if we – you know, what what would bring us to the point that we'd think that we have some sort of hormone imbalance? Are there any signs or symptoms or is it just up to the individual to say, hey, yeah, there's something definitely not right – you know, it really varies depending on the hormones. It really varies. So, I mean, if your body is going through any kind of weird change, you might want to consider that. Um, so, for instance, there are a few stories around of and a, one of a friend of mine who her foot grew two sizes. Hmm. And the first doctor said, oh, well, maybe that's just part of menopause. No, no. Our feet, a lot of weird stuff happens during menopause. Your feet don't grow two sizes. <laughs> she went to a better doctor who realized that she had a tumor in her pituitary that was causing too much growth hormone. Yeah. And it's these. Are, this is something that's pretty subtle, and it happens a lot, that people will maybe get some headaches because if you have a tumor in, near your head, that can happen. 
Um, and, but you also grow, you don't grow taller because your growth plates have grown, but you might grow your jaw or your hands or your feet. It's so subtle that what doctors will do sometimes is they'll say to someone who comes in and says, maybe they have a headache, maybe their feet, their shoes are uncomfortable. Doctors will say, show me a picture of yourself 10 years ago. And if you look at a, at the person now and a picture 10 years ago, you'll say, wow, you know, your face looks so different. Your jaw was smaller. Your hands were smaller. Um, so that we know is a hormone issue. Mm. So you might, I think, you know, you might want to bring something up to consider hormones. If you are getting headaches, if you're shakier, if any sort of extreme weight loss, you know, we always think cancer because that's our big fear and that could be too, but we should put hormones, um, into this mix too. Okay. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Um, what do you think we could do in our everyday lives to sort of create a happier balance of hormones Well, as far as lifestyles goes? Right. You know, there's always all these bad diets and supplements and things, but honestly, unfortunately it's going to sound so boring, but what we do know is you have to eat a healthy balanced diet because, you know, if you're starving yourself or if you're waiting too long in between meals, that's not good for your insulin balance and other hormones. You know, when you're, when your sugar levels are going way up or way down, sleep is hugely important. I preach this, but I don't practice it, but, um, I'm not good at, you know, getting my eight hours every night, but it's very important because you have hormones that control your circadian rhythm. And I mean, there's been studies to show if you force people in these weird studies where people stay up for hours and days on end, your hormones get so screwed up and not just the circadian rhythm ones, but growth hormone and all sorts of other hormones. Um, so you really do need sleep and healthy eating and, you know, of course, keep moving and all these things just keep the chemistry in your body circulating well. Yeah. So if there's upsets in our lives, perhaps those are a few things to look at immediately, um, before anything further, perhaps I'm not sure. Interesting uh, conversation. I've got some questions that I ask all guests, Randy. Uh, we've got about five minutes, so uh, it is a quick round, lightning round series of questions with you today. Um, okay. So let's let's get into the first one. What routine or rituals do you believe contribute to your success? I would say exercise, um, and I'm not. I'm like a really super slow runner now, but I think it's the time alone outside. Does it contribute to my success, like making my book better? Actually, yeah, maybe it does because I'm I'm a better thinker after that. But I think I need the alone time. I don't listen to any music, nothing. I just it's just silent, and well, it's not silent. I'm in New York, but I don't I don't plug into anything while I'm out there doing my really super slow meditative. It's like moving meditation, I'll call it. Nice one. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, have a little more self-compassion. The advice I'm giving to my 20-year-old self is the advice I'm giving to my 20-year-old children right now who are thinking, oh, my God, I need to know right now what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And I would sort of tell myself, it's okay, you'll figure it out. And don't set goals. 
don't say by the time you're 29, you better have achieved and have a list of achievements so that on your 29th birthday, you feel, feel like a failure. I like that. How do you define success? I think success is finding a balance in your life that one, you can feel intellectually stimulated by what you do. Two, that what you're doing is helping make the world a better place. I don't always mean that you have to save a life, but even if you're creating art that made someone laugh, that made someone slow down and appreciate it, you just helped someone else. And three, community. And community, I mean, whether that's your family and you're spending time with them or that's people in your neighborhood, but I think we underestimate community in terms of happiness and success. Um, and laughter. I just can't see any successful life if you don't have a sense of humor. Excellent. I like it. Well, uh, well broken down too. If you were to be served your last meal, what would you request? Oh, okay. I'll start with dessert. Definitely ice cream, nothing too chocolatey, something like vanilla chip, you know, vanilla with chocolate chips. Ah, and then probably really fresh fish. And then a salad with feta cheese on it. Yeah, I think I'd need to have feta on something, feta cheese on something at the meal. Excellent. <laughs> uh, where am I? What activity gives you the greatest sense of joy? Oh, gosh, really being with my children. Is that an activity? Hanging with them, making me laugh, being really stupidly silly. My kids see a side of me that I don't allow to come through because they would kill me if it came through. But I think it gives me the greatest sense of joy just being stupid and embar- embarrassing my children. That's an act. Is that a- an activity? Is that a hobby? Yeah. Yeah. Embarrassing them. It just it just gives me a wonderful sense of joy. It makes me laugh. It, it horrifies them. Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm sure they love it. What book would you pass down to your children? What one book? not books, just one book, would you pass down to your children or any other future generations? Ah. Oh. Gosh, you know, I love the role of doll stories. My son, I have to say, it's it's a quirky one, but I just found a role doll book called SEO Tort. It's tortoise spelled backwards. And that's how my son used to remember to spell tortoise because it's spelled backwards, SEO tort. And that's the name of a Roald Dahl book of a love affair between a man and a lady. And she had tortoises. Um, it serves no point, but it's like a sweet love story. And I love those. I think, you know, there's nothing better than a really good picture book. So that would be one of them. I'll, I'll stick it in there for sure. Uh, along with your book as well, guys. Check it out if you want to support the show. Jump onto the hiddenwire.com and use the links within. Thank you. Uh, what phrase, quote, or message would you tweet or text everyone in the world? Right now? Oh, get aroused. Get aroused. Good. <laughs> and then they can go online and get my book. <laughs> hey, do you believe we all have a hidden why or a purpose in life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you have to believe that you have a purpose in life because that's the only way to go forward. Absolutely.
And what does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? Connecting with other people, connecting in person, not, not, no offense to our Skype interview here, but I think real connections with people, human connections, um, and whether that's hmm. by making art or writing, but also spending time. And what do you believe is the underlying motivation behind everything you do? Um, that's a great question. The underlying motivation. I think to really, you know, we want long-term goals to be a role model for my children, um, to, to just try things. I think my motivation is to sort of stay out of my comfort zone and try new things. So I'm always sort of I'm not good at a lot of things, but I like trying a lot of things. And I think that just usually brings some laughter. Sometimes it brings a sense of accomplishment. Usually you meet new people along the way. So, yeah, I've tried, I've tried some wacky things. I'm not a daredevil, so not that. But, you know, just whether it's art or some new sport. Yeah, I like it. It's cool. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm glad we could make it happen today. Uh, it's been good to connect with you and learn a little bit more about our hormones. So thank you for sharing and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. It's been great. How can people best um, reach out to you? They can go on my website, randyhutterepstein.com, and there's a contact page there. They can read about my book. Um, right. And then they can just email and reach out. And I'm always happy to hear from people who have bought the book or what they think. That'd be cool. I'll stick the link in the show notes, guys, to check it out there. Randy, thank you very much for coming on. And um, guys, thank you for tuning in and listening. Thanks so much. Until next time, peace, passion and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon